Today we start a, a new series that's going to carry us right through to Easter. I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's a study through what is called the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalms 120 through 134. We're going to take one each week in the weeks to come. And the series is entitled uh, after a book that takes on the same theme written by Eugene Peterson uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Um, it's almost 10 years ago now that I found myself in a transition season in my life, not by my choosing. I had been in full-time ministry of some sort or another since I was 21, 22 years old. And suddenly I found myself uh, put on the sideline. And uh, my calling brought into question, my gifting, even my character uh, brought into question. And it, it resulted in uh, stepping away from the ministry we were a part of. And it was a very dark season, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I, I found myself wondering if uh, you know, the characterizations that I look back and feel were unfair. I found myself wondering if I was the one fooling myself. Maybe I didn't have the calling or the gifts, and I didn't know that uh, I'd ever have the opportunity to do what I'm doing here again with you and having the privilege of leading, leading this amazing ministry. And during the first months of that season, I had a very hard time connecting spiritually with the Lord. I, I never lost my faith but I had a hard time engaging with prayer and, and the Bible. Because when you're in ministry, your own spiritual journey is so tied up and connected with your ministry, if you do it correctly. You know, you serve others out of what God's doing in your life, so it's hard to separate the two. And so I just had a very hard time uh, engaging in any kind of spiritual activity. My, my friends all sent me books on leadership. <laughs> Don't ever do that. <laughs> Don't do that. I uh, couldn't read those either. The Dark Side of Leadership, one of the titles was. Amen to that. <laughs> and when I finally came up for air, you know, uh, enough days went by that I realized whether I liked it or not, morning was coming. <laughs> there would be a day, there would be a night, I would survive. There was life in front of me. What's next? the book that allowed me to step again into a spiritual journey was this amazing, precious classic by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, a study of the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, Eugene Peterson passed away this year. Many of you know him because he paraphrased the Bible in the very popular paraphrase called The Message. And you may only think of him uh, in that light, but he was also just a tremendous theologian, biblical scholar who blended our spirituality with our theology in a way that is, just brings life to both. And uh, I, I, to this day, am marked by his writings. Wish I had the chance to meet him. But my first encounter with him was through this book. And it was a way for me to re-engage with the Lord in my own pilgrimage again. Um, to recognize that God wasn't done with me, but he also wasn't done in me. <laughs> he, 
He was going to use me, but he was also going to continue to work in me. And uh, here we are today. As a result, of that, I owe a lot to this book, to this uh, passage of Scripture. And so for me, as we begin to engage this together, th- this is a, a great, for me, this is me in, in inviting you into a journey that God used in my own life. Uh, you can get the book. We're going to actually stay, uh, uncharacteristically, we're going to stay pretty close to the book in this series because of how Eugene Peterson engages these psalms. And so you can purchase it. It's available as an ebook or on Amazon, CBD. You can get it anywhere. Each chapter is a pretty brief read, and it'll help you. Our life groups are going to also talk through the, these psalms, and so if you have yet to join a life group, this would be a great time for you to do that, and uh, you'll work through it. And I think together, we're going to find this to be a really transformative season together. What is a psalm of ascent? What are they? Well, you might call the psalms of ascent a hymn book within the hymn book of the Jewish people. Uh, this is uh, something that some of you may not know. It's a, it's a historical uh, item known as a hymn book. Have any of you ever seen a, a hymn book? Um, and uh, this is what everybody would have sung out of years ago. I, I grew up singing out of hymn books. And, and hymn books are you know, the great songs of the faith. And um, we actually sing from the hymn book. You probably don't know that, but we sing hymns. Um, on Sunday, we incorporate them in our worship, and it's organized thematically. So right now, I'm at page 99 or 100, and somewhere in here, going up to you know 140 or so, are all the songs of the faith that we sang during Advent and during Christmas season about the birth and coming of Jesus. You go a little farther, you come into the death of Jesus and the resurrection, and it's all organized thematically. Well. This book of Psalms is not organized thematically like our, like our, our hymn books, uh, but this section was a particular set of songs that every Jewish person who was devoted to the faith sang during a very specific aspect of their year. In fact, three times a year, they would sing these Psalms of Ascent as they journeyed from wherever they lived to Jerusalem for one of three what are known as pilgrimage festivals. You may be aware of these. You may not have distinguished them from other traditions and feasts of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, but during these three, every, the law required, the Hebrew law, which is the, the scriptures, required that every Jewish male, and therefore his whole family, go to Jerusalem from wherever they are, to the holy mountain, up to the holy mountain, to the temple where God dwelled, for the practice of these festivals. The first is the Passover. Uh, That's celebrating and remembering their deliverance from Egypt. The, the, The angel of death in Egypt, the final plague that passed over their children and took the lives of the Egyptians and uh, because of the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. It was during the Passover that Jesus comes to Jerusalem and offers himself as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and is crucified. It's, it's the fulfillment. Little did the Jewish people know that all these years they had been pointing to that ultimate sacrifice that would take place. The second feast 
was the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. As Christians, we think of Pentecost as the launch of the church. The Holy Spirit comes and bursts the church. But Pentecost was, a, was already an existing feast for the Jewish people that occurred 50 weeks, that's what Pentecost means, from the planting, and it's the, it's the first harvest of crops, and they came and made offerings at the Temple of the First Fruit. And then the Feast of the Tabernacles, or booths, or Feast of Tents, everybody came to Jerusalem, and in this case, they didn't stay with relatives or in any of the inns or any of those kind of things. They all stayed in temporary shelter, tents or tabernacles, in order to commemorate and remember their years in the wilderness. So Jerusalem was sort of like, population-wise, one of our coastal vacation towns, you know? that has a winter population of you know, 10, 20,000, and then during the summer swells many times over to a capacity crowd. That was Jerusalem. Usually about 40 or 60,000 people lived year-round in Jerusalem, and the whole city was basically set up to welcome and, and prepare for around these three festivals as it became many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who would come to the city. Now, here's the thing. As they traveled from wherever they were three times a year up to Jerusalem, they sang these songs. Now, for the Jewish people, the temple that they were going to was where God was. We, we don't have a sense of that because in the modern context, since Pentecost, you are where God dwells. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. In fact, the New Testament calls you the temple of God and me the temple of God. This isn't where God dwells. Our, our new campus that we purchased had a sign on it when we, on the side, the side uh, entrance that says, Welcome to the house of God. We took it down. Because <laughs> that building isn't the house of God either. Today, you're the house of God. We together are living stones because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That wasn't the case in the Old Testament. They had a doctrine, a belief, an understanding that God was omnipresent. He was everywhere present at all times, but yet he was manifest present in the temple on the holy mountain. So let me be clear. The Jewish people sang these songs on their way up to meet with God. So that's what the Psalms of Ascent are, sung by the people of God as they journey to Jerusalem, to the temple of God. Mary and Joseph sang these hymns as they traveled with a young Jesus to Jerusalem for the festivals on that weekend or that feast where they left him behind by mistake and came and found him in the temple, confounding the teachers of the law. Jesus and his disciples sang these songs over the years of his ministry as they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. And Jesus, no doubt, sang these songs, his final pilgrimage to Jerusalem for that final Passover when he offered himself for our sins on the cross. These are precious precious psalms. And we have the privilege of working through them together because what these psalms do, they aren't just seasonal, they're a progression. 
As we work through these songs and think about that journey from where they live to the holy mountain of God, they don't just provide spiritual preparation for the children of Israel to meet with God, they address aspects of the pilgrimage of the people of God. They, they present a roadmap for us, footprints for us to walk in, in our own spiritual journey. They, they will be a meaningful thing for us, and that's how Peterson deals with it. So we invite you into pilgrimage during this winter season. Why make New Year's resolutions when you can join us in pilgrimage together? It can be transforming, as it was for me 10 years ago. So that's where we're going. And it begins at Psalm 120. And so let's turn there together. It's page 440 in the Pew Bible. We're going to read it together. It's seven short verses. And I'll begin. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with burning coals of a broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, and that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Uh, so I, I know what's happening right now. I just set this up as these beautiful hymns to sing. And the first one's kind of a downer. You're going, Tom, you, you set us up now. And here, this, this, is, this doesn't feel very good. Exactly. So here's the point of the first Psalm of Ascent. It reminds us that in order to be prodded onto our pilgrimage with God, we have to be sick and tired as life as it is. We have to come to a realization that the way I'm living right now is not the way God meant me to live, and I want something different. And that's what this psalm does. It speaks of a holy discontent in the heart of the pilgrim as he is at the front end yet to begin his journey. And he comes to this realization that I believe all of us need to come to if we're going to begin a pilgrimage with Jesus Christ. That my life as it is right now is not the way it's meant to be. That my life is based on a pile of lies. Now, how many of you grew up in the church and came to faith in Jesus when you were a child? A handful of you. And how many of you came to faith in Jesus as an adult? Look at that. That's a good number. We are blessed as a church to have seen about 150 folk get baptized in the eight years we've been here, most of them adults, and many of them from our recovery community in the city. Worcester's a, 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 an attractive place for people who are looking for recovery because of the services that are provided here, and we've been very blessed to welcome them into our congregation. Uh, and those people in particular will tell you that God gets your attention when you hit bottom. 
When you look at your life and you say, I've been living according to a whole set of lies. The world's lied to me, and I've been lying to myself. That's where this person comes to. And in fact, for all of us to enter into true, full, wholehearted journey with Jesus, we have to be able to see our life for what it is so that we can leave it behind and enter fully into our work, our walk with Christ. This psalmist looks at life where he is and comes to three realizations about that life. And he starts with this phrase, I'm in trouble. (laughs) This is how Eugene Peterson puts the the first verses uh, from the message. Let's say it together. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Deliver me from liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. I'm in trouble. Actually, in the Hebrew, that is the first statement. Our NIV begins, I cried to the Lord in my despair. But linguistically, it's more in despair, I cry to the Lord. In trouble, I cry to the Lord. So the very first thing this psalmist says is the first thing that I think prompts all of us onto our journey with Christ. It ought to. I'm in trouble. And I cry to the Lord. As he comes to this realization, he describes three realizations about his life. And the first is that my life is built on lies. And this is a truth that all of us have to come to terms with. That we live in a culture that creates a mythology about people and about our life. As we work through this passage, it's as though this guy is living in the end of 2018, going into 2019, in the U.S. of A. Because we also live in a set of ideas that are far from God's truth for us. Peterson puts it this way. We have been told the lie ever since we can remember. Human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone is born equal and innocent and self-sufficient. The world is a pleasant, harmless place. We are born free. If we are in chains now, it's someone else's fault. And we can correct it with just a little more intelligence or effort or time. This is the humanistic mythology that has driven our culture since enlightenment. We don't need religion. Then we're not broken inside. We just need a better, fresh start. We need to avoid the influences of evil wherever that comes from, because it's not coming from me. And that if I just work hard enough and know enough and given enough time, we're as a race going to outgrow this. Let me ask you a question. How many centuries of this do we need to understand that that's a myth? How many centuries living in enlightenment do we need to get that we are no better off now than we were before the rocket age in terms of who we are as people? See, and there's a point if we're really going to embrace the truth that Jesus offers us, that scripture offers us, that we recognize those lies for what they are. That we begin to cry out, rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire, from the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy, 
from the lives of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality, from the lives of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live a long, happy, and successful life, from the lives of religion that tries to heal wounds lightly, from the lips of moralists who pretend to promote me to the office of captain of my fate, from the lives of pastors who, as Jesus put it in Mark 7, leave the commandment of God and hold fast to the ideas of men. Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the best lies are actually factual. What makes them a lie is that they leave God out. They leave eternal purpose, eternal plans out. And here's the thing, not only have we grown up in a world that's based on these false assumptions and these lies, the lies that we see the least are the ones that we tell ourselves about ourselves that keep us from embracing the truth about our need and our place. But yet, Many of us begin our journey with Christ when going along and following those rules and playing by those ideas, we finally hit the wall. It runs out, and we turn around and we look and we say, what have I been doing? What have I been thinking? I've been fed a pack of lies. You may be here today, and the reason why you're here is because in your heart, that rings true. You go, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm looking for something. Because what I've been taught, I know, isn't working. That's what this author feels right now. And the second discovery he makes growing out of that is that the world, because of those lies, is crippled by hate. This is, the, this is why I think this could have been written today for us. Have we ever been at a time where we know more, have accomplished more, are able to heal more things, are capable of more, and yet are so mad at each other, so angry with people across the aisle politically, across the aisle philosophically, across the aisle in terms of skin color. When you believe a pack of lies, what you do is villainize people who don't ascribe to your own mythology. They become what's wrong with the world. Their ideas are evil because yours have to be right. God save us from the lies around us. God save us from the lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves and that leave us angry and bitter and hateful towards others. This is the society that has been, we have been caught up in and this, it's when we have this holy discontent for the way things are that we're ready to begin the pilgrimage with God. And that's the third realization he makes. I don't want to stay here any longer. Verse five, woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, 
that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. He's ready for a change. Meshech and Kedar, by the way, are not neighborhoods around Jerusalem. <laughs> They're not even near each other. They're not even twin cities. Meshech is in southern Russia, modern today. Kedar was a Bedouin tribe that was in the Sahara area. So they're actually in opposite directions from Jerusalem. And what they do is they speak metaphorically of two things. One is being as far away from where God is as you could imagine. And the other is the pervasive hostility and lack of security in life. Man, so many people feel that right now. And here's the thing. You have to get to the point where you stop thinking that if you just work harder in this mythology, things are going to get better. You have to get sick of it enough to say, I'm going to replace, I'm going to leave those lies behind, I'm going to embrace God's truth. I'm willing to leave the violence and the hatred behind and the hostility, and I'm going to embrace peace. I'm hungry for truth and peace. I'm sick of the lies and the hostility. When you get to that point, you're ready for pilgrimage. You can start afresh, and that's why this first psalm has with it this weight of realization with this resolve to step into a new journey with Christ. You see repentance here uh, shown. You see what repentance looks like, and and this is important for us because the first step of the pilgrimage with Jesus is always repentance. He always calls us into repentance first. And repentance here is a choice. I'm not gonna do a big teaching on repentance, but let me just hit a few highlight, high points of it. Repentance is not just feeling bad about things. It's not a feeling. Repentance is not just acknowledging wrongdoing, like your kids, you know? I have these recognitions of myself as a boy and getting caught and not willing to admit it's me. I did this stupid thing as a kid. I'll take a minute and tell you this. I used to do these funny little experiments. One time when we had these rubber stoppers in the sink, and if you remember rubber stoppers? Yeah, okay. I used to put toothpaste in the bottom inside of the rubber stopper and see how long it would stay. Ask me why I did that. I have no idea. I was 11 years old. So finally one morning, Dad comes down and says, who keeps putting glue in the stopper? And the way he said it suddenly seemed like a really dumb idea. I couldn't tell him. So he was so mad, five kids. He sent us all to our rooms. Now I'm responsible for the suffering of my siblings. And I'm racked with guilt. And I came down to my dad. And I was just bawling. I did it. It was as though I had stolen something. All I was doing was putting toothpaste in the stopper. Felt horrible, and I fessed up. Repentance is not just fessing up. Oh, you got me, I did it. Repentance in Scripture is a choice. It's an action away from something towards something else. 
And so in this psalm, what we see is repentance, first of all, as a choice to step away from the lies of this world towards the truth of God. Now, if we're going to work towards the truth of God, that's going to reveal things to us about ourselves that our mythology has not allowed. We're going to have to come to terms with the fact that we are contributors to the evil in the world. That the darkness comes from inside all of us because of our fallenness. And this very notion is why Christianity, biblical Christianity today, is not popular in our culture. And some of you are going, you know, Tom, you were doing really well until you went to that sin thing again. And it's in me. Where do you get that from, Tom? Well, here's the thing I want you to think about. Do you hear the cultural lie in what you're thinking right now. Don't you hear it? That you can't even permit yourself to look deeper than the lie you tell yourself about yourself and recognize that the darkness is here. And when you're willing to seek God's truth, he'll show it to you. But he doesn't show it to you in hatred. He shows it to you in love so that he can help you leave it behind and walk into grace. You see, repentance is the most positive thing you can do because it starts you on the true journey with Christ. That's what this is about. Repentance also looks like a choice to leave the hostility and the hatred of the world and pursue the grace and peace of Jesus. This is something that the church right now has to come to terms with. The church in America we have, gotten, we have let the hostility draw us in. Maybe we're even part of the hostility. We have picked sides and we've gotten angry at each other on the political extremes. We have joined in in the rhetoric and the angry language towards one another. This is not of God. It is not gospel. It is not of Jesus Christ. And part of the repentance of the church is to recognize that we are instruments of God's peace. We are not voices for any political party that villainizes the opposite opinion. No applause for that one. Okay. <laughs> but so important that you get that. I have, I have pastor friends I went to Bible college with that pastor in the state of Massachusetts and are more angry on Facebook, I'm, I'm ashamed of how we can, are conducting ourselves in this era. We need to be the voices of grace and peace. Desperately. We need to leave the hostility behind. It is not of God. It is not for pilgrims who are living in grace. Think about that one. Promise. Promise me you'll think about it at least Take a look at your Twitter account and your Facebook account and whatever else you post your opinions and recognize there's people on the other end of that and whatever you put down on that page, you're saying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Think about that. Think about that. And let love and grace rule. That was free. Obviously on my heart. So here's the thing I want you to understand. Christ's invitation to followership God's invitation into pilgrimage is always a call to repent. 
And repentance requires that we come out of something in order to enter into life with him. Think about this. John the Baptist, the forerunner, what was his primary message? The Messiah's coming, and what was the response he called the people of God to? Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. When Jesus began his ministry, and he began preaching the good news of the kingdom of God being near, what did he say was the first response to that that he was calling us to? It's right there on the screen. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. When the disciples began preaching the gospel and calling people to become Christ followers, what was the first word that was part of the response of faith? Repent. In order to come fully into our journey with God in Christ, we need to recognize that we are always called from something, called to come out of where we are into the life that he has called us to, into the spiritual journey. We are called to release things in order to embrace new things. We are called to leave behind priorities and even, even the old dreams and, and hobbies and habits, to leave those behind so that we can move ahead into new dreams and new priorities and holy habits. We're called to renounce old ways of thinking and worldviews and even ways that we perceive people in order that we might commit to new priorities and new viewpoints and new purposes. We're called to die to the old way of life so that we can live in newness of life. Like the psalmist, we need to say, I'm fed up with life as it is now. I'm tired of the lies, I'm tired of the hostility. I'm ready for some truth and some peace and grace. This is what's required of us to begin journey. And if you're there, then you're prime, you're ready. To enter into pilgrimage with Jesus. We lived for uh, almost 18 years in Milford, Massachusetts before moving to the glorious city of Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. Now called one of the up-and-coming cities in the nation by NPR. And by the way, you're welcome. Uh, Milford is just south of Hopkinton. In fact, we had to drive through Hopkinton to get anywhere that was anywhere. And Hopkinton, of course, is where the uh, Boston Marathon begins. My good friend Michael has been on staff at uh, what was First Congregational Church, now Faith Community Church in Hopkinton. Today he's the senior pastor, but years ago he was the youth pastor. And originally their church building was right downtown, right off the, the green. And in fact, right off of their stairs is the starting line for the Boston Marathon. Right there, you can walk right down their stairs right across the starting line. And so they did it right. On the morning of the Boston Marathon, they would do a chapel service right there on the steps for all the runners who were interested. Share the gospel. Uh, former famous runners who were Christians would get up and, and tell their testimony. It was a really smart way to make the most of your location. And I remember seeing TV, because I never went, I never went into Hopkinton on, on Marathon Day, Patriots Day, I always avoided it. But I remember seeing Michael on TV, the, the thing panned, and there he was doing his thing. And uh, it was really cool. 
So then the runners would take off, and the cameras would focus on the runners, and then finally, when the last few got out, there might be a few uh, shots of Hopkinton, but then those who were, weren't running were just kind of left behind, right? They were fans of the marathon. They loved it. They were cheering on people who were in it, but they weren't runners. They would not get the prize. They never really entered into it. By the way, now Michael has become a runner in his senior years. I think he does more 5Ks than marathons, but he's become a runner. In some ways, that's the dividing line for whether or not you're truly on a pilgrimage. If, you know, just like the runners had to leave Hopkinton, as nice a town as that is, there's a place where you have to say, I am going to leave my life behind that I've been living. This life is built on lies. The result is hostility between God and people. I'm sick of being part of it. And rather than thinking you can just stay where you are and ask Jesus just to come in and make it work, you need to recognize that for you to be truly on pilgrimage with Jesus, there's, there's a need to come out, to leave behind. I'm not saying leave your neighborhood. I'm not, not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual. A, a commitment to say, I'm, I'm leaving that life, those ideas, those ways of thinking I'm leaving them behind so that I can embrace pilgrimage. I'm leaving the city of man and I'm journeying towards the city of God. It's a beautiful thought. So that's what we're inviting you into. This pilgrimage over these seasons, wherever you are, my prayer is that God will give you a holy discontent for the things that are present in your life that keep you from fully embracing your life in him and that you will come to leave those behind and journey with us to Zion. The first step in our spiritual journey with God is always from the lies and hatred and death that the world offers into the truth, grace, and eternal life he freely gives us in Christ. Let's take that journey together. Amen.